Irish Illustrated Insider is sponsored by VisitSouthBend.com. Is it time to check a Notre Dame home game off your bucket list? Has it been too long since you've soaked in the game day atmosphere in person? Whether it's for the first time ever or in a while, start planning your trip to South Bend to watch the Fighting Irish with ideas and inspiration at VisitSouthBend.com. Happy Halloween Eve, everybody. Tim Priest with Tim O'Malley from Irish Illustrated. This is Irish Illustrated Insider Monday, October 30th, Notre Dame with its big 58 to 7 victory over per, uh, Pittsburgh, rather, and uh, the uh, much anticipated trip to Clemson this weekend has been uh, dulled a little bit by Clemson losing for a fourth time, but still going to be a huge challenge for Notre Dame. Tim O'Malley, uh, we're going to talk a little bit. We're going to wrap up Pittsburgh here, and it's kind of tied into Clemson because the injury situation is really bad on one front and really good on another. The good is that that Benjamin Morrison and Cam Hart are expected back this weekend for Clemson, but Mitchell Evans will not be back. He suffered a torn left ACL and will be out for the rest of the season. Yeah, you mentioned the Clemson situation has been dulled. It was dulled from Clemson minus two on Friday to Notre Dame right now, favored by two and a half as of our Monday podcast. And that's that's a pretty big swing considering uh, all they did was look at one weekend of football for that. Obviously, Will Shipley's injury too, possible uh, easing concussion protocol. Mitchell Evans being out is uh, very unfortunate for him because it's an October 28th injury. Talked about this on Instant Analysis. That's a hard time to tear your ACL, man. He's So he's going to be raring to go next about November 12th. Like that's a, that's a difficult situation. Obviously, he can work his way back and probably hit the field in October next year. It's just, it, it's tough because the guys that come back early do tend to have a little bit of a recurrence of things. Um, you got to be careful with Mitchell Evans next year. It, I would do everything I could to make Mitchell Evans play four games next year, plus the bowl game. Um, the bowl game we now believe is a free game. So uh, got to be careful with Mitchell Evans at this point. He had a meteoric rise going into this injury. Yeah, it really did. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you hate to, it certainly it hurts Nordheim's chances offensively, but Mitchell Evans had really, Really stepped forward and risen to the forefront in the absence of Michael Mayer. Uh, I don't think any of us anticipated that Mitchell Evans would rise to this level. Actually, we were anticipating the Holden Stays would probably be the guy that would rise to this level as a pass catcher, and he did. He caught four touchdown passes in a three-game span, but then Mitchell Evans stepped forward. And then now it stays uh, opportunity with Eli Raritan uh, probably playing a much bigger role now. He's been ma- basically a blocker. Marcus Freeman came right out and said he's going to have to play a bigger role as a as a pass receiver. And Cooper Flanagan, who uh, who he likes a lot too because of his physicality and his strength uh, at the point of attack. And of course, Davis Sherwood as the fourth tight end. I mean, I actually wonder how much more of a role Eli Reardon can play. It's not like if they can just say, "Oh, well, now we need you to be a good receiver and be healthy." That's true. You know, no, I think I... Cooper Flanagan could play a bigger role. Holden stays has to play a bigger role. But I mean, Mitchell Evans is their best wide receiver on the team. <laughs> yeah. He is. I mean, there's not, I don't think it's close. It's not, it's not close this year. Chris Tyree had a good game, but I mean, remove Chris Tyree's punt return. He didn't, he was not close to what Mitchell Evans does most of the time as a wide receiver in the games. He's a big loss. Holden stays has to step up. You'll the good news is I guess for Notre Dame is the receivers are hopefully getting healthy. It seems. And maybe some confidence was a very good time. This is why I asked about Cooper Flanagan to score his touchdown because there you, the dose of confidence he has after that game compared to just blocking it's probably a pretty big deal. Um, Rico Flores, I really thought one of the highlights of the game was how he fought for all those extra yards after the catch. 
Um, Marcus, Marcus Freeman mentioned Jaden Thomas paving the path for Audric Estime. You thought you saw Thomas pull up lame. I did not see that on my rewatch, actually. But uh, if you if you check it on the on the deep route, he there's a little hitch in his giddy up, so to okay. speak. Yeah. Uh, and 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 pull up a little bit shorter following through uh, with the route. I, I don't know that we saw him after that. I, I can't say for sure. You know, I I don't like. I it didn't look to me like he suffered an injury again but it was just like maybe a little tweak that uh that caught his attention let, let, let's say Darian price though is back that adds there's another weapon he is he's he's involved again he's what you would hope could yeah get no there. doubt and again re-watching the game i mean some of the things that that you were pointing out tim were obvious again just that you know he power he powered through a couple tackle attempts on his touchdown and his 23 yard run was was the Jadarian price that we've kind of expected. So, you know, it's that type of time of year where um, some guys are going to have to step forward a little bit more, uh, price being one, Flanagan being another. We'll see what Raritan is capable of doing. Tim, I thought it was interesting that when asked about Chris Tyree at wide receiver, Marcus Freeman came out and said he would like him to come back next year to – to uh, shine his craft up a little bit before he heads on to the NFL. Yeah, he would certainly need it. I mean, he all what he has for the NFL is the speed to play in the NFL. So he's going to have to become a lot more polished wide receiver because he's not going to grow. So what he just needs to become a more polished wide receiver and think about the journey Chris Tyree probably has from when they put him out there in winter workouts last year in February, trying to run routes and do stuff compared to where he is now. It's a huge difference. It's a big difference for us from what we saw in spring and August too. He's just a more impactful player than I thought he would be considering it's mostly return and receiving, not, not handing the ball off or, or little stuff like that. I did. I did not expect him to make the plays downfield that he yeah. has made. You ex- we expected them to get the ball to him. Oh, the tunnel screen right, yeah, against, right. and all that, that kind of stuff, but that really hasn't, that's really not his, you know, he's not that. And that's what, let me just say this. The punt return is the best play of his career, in my opinion, because really? it included t- breaking tackles and then showing some shiftiness in the open field. I don't know if you've had an opportunity to go through yeah. everything that Tim, but watch that punt return because the other guy, the guys on the, on the, the, the punt return uh, grouping there, they were fantastic. Uh, Chance Tucker is the first one that shows up. And Luke Telich actually pancake <laughs> pancakes. I always call it cockroach. Uh, pancaked Shane Sight. Well, because of cockroach on his back. Oh, I never, I have never heard that in my life. You've never heard that expression, or that's no, what, never, uh, I've never heard that expression. You know, when a cockroach is on his back oh, yeah, and yeah, get flipped just... over, well, that's what happened to Shane Simon <laughs> from Luke Telich. So, um, He's headed in the hey, right. It's two Notre, this is going to be two Notre Dame graduates one day. Tim Priester, they're all the same, right? There's no yep. good for good for Shane. Yep. How about the conversation about Mike Mickens? Uh, a real strong endorsement from from Marcus Freeman. Yeah, we, uh, he was asked specifically if Mickens has designs on becoming a coordinator. Um, and Freeman said, I believe he's ready to be a coordinator now. He is passing game coordinator at present. Uh, our John Bryce mentioned on instant analysis, you're probably here. <laughs> It's a chance you're looking at a co-coordinator situation at some point for Mike Mickens too, if they can keep Al Golden in the fold. I mean, he's he's going to be a shooting star in the profession. It's the best cornerbacks Notre Dame has have ever had. He recruited them, he developed them, and they are playing for him. I, there's nothing. There's no other way of looking at it. No, yeah, I, I agree. And I, I mean, I, and he transformed Cam Hart, who was handed to him. 
No, no doubt. Everything about it. It's incredible. I don't, we don't know that Ben Morrison was just going to explode onto the scene without Mike Mickens. I mean, credit to credit to Morrison, of course, mostly. Well, but good, yeah. <laughs> they're yeah. good players. You need that. But but I love the idea. I mean, you want El Golden to stay because he's got things going on. Yeah. Love the idea of a co-coordinator, which gets Mickens a little bit closer to running the show by himself. If Golden's back next year, he'll probably be gone the year after that. So right. that would be uh, that would be great. I mean, I think that's the best of all worlds. Talking about there was there was one uh, expression that Marcus Freeman used again. He brought up simplifying things, and he said, you know, it reflects what we when when they play well, it reflects what we know as as a team, what the players know. As a team, and I think that in 2023, this game gets it so easily becomes overcomplicated because everything, everything is overcoached now. Um, it's it's just they're playing free and easy, and I, I guess if that means that they simplified things, uh, that that worked for them because they're playing really good football right now. He kind of referenced it twice. He said, "I want to do." a few things at level 10 rather than many things at level seven, which is a really good way of putting it. He couched some stuff with the wide receivers by saying, I believe this is a talented, skilled group, which, you know, you don't normally have to say as a coach, if they truly are a very talented and skilled group going into week nine, if there haven't been problems, but he said it was up to us to get them to play as fast as they can individually and do their stuff. And he did that against Pittsburgh. It'll be interesting to see if they can do it against Clemson. Cause another thing Freeman said was, the unique thing about Pittsburgh is you know what you're getting. You're getting three or four coverages. This is what we prepared our team for. They played well with it. You're not going to get that, obviously, the rest of the time against Clemson and others. But big step forward for the wide receivers. Um, I want to bring this up because I couldn't fit it into a story. And there's something on the board, too. It might have been in response to Thursday thoughts or a response to your preview. Some people were asking about uh, adjustments being made by Al Gold and everything. Not, not Al Golden, I'm sorry, Jared Parker. We interviewed Parker Tuesday, and he talked about self-scouting. Went through the whole thing, saying we were able to self-scout. We found some things. We had too many tendencies offensively. We don't want to, I'm not, he wasn't going to describe his tendencies he was getting rid of, but you know, tendencies offensively, he wanted to eradicate. He thought they did that. He thought they game-planned around it for Pittsburgh. Clearly, they did. That is an unintended consequence, a byproduct of a too-late buy. If your bye week happens after eight games have been played and that's your first full week of self-scout. Good point. That's not great. That's why. And just like if your bye week is week four or week three, you're self-scouting three games. That's not even worth the self-scout almost. It's, right. it, it's usually you, you really want a better bye week than week nine or week three. Yeah. And, you know, three weeks, four weeks, and those are generally lesser. Lesser, lesser foes. Yeah. Imagine self-scouting yourself against those first four games compared to what else you're self-scouting against if you're Notre Dame. Yeah, no doubt. Um, you know, the wide receiver play, I brought up the 11 for 15, 233 yards, I think it was, to the wide receivers. And and to me, that that carries a little bit more significance because of the cornerbacks, Dev, uh, Devonshire and, and Woods. I thought those two guys were very good going into the game. That's a 70-some completion percentage to your wideouts. Prior to Saturday, it was 57%. And Devonshire was under 50 for the year, what he was putting on people, yeah, which is yeah. good. Yeah. Well, that was significant. And I, I and I and I certainly saw all the great blocks that the wide receivers threw, but 
Marcus Freeman especially emphasized the role that the wide receivers played in blocking the safeties, in particular, Jaden Thomas with a key block uh, on the first of three SMA yeah. touchdowns. It was a, you know, against that kind of secondary, their, their safeties are pretty good too. Against that kind of secondary, it's kind of a breakthrough. And now you have some receivers coming back to, to full health. Um, they should be ready to roll at wide receiver through the balance of the regular season. I think four guys over 50 yards catching the ball is a big deal for this Notre Dame team as well. Uh, one of them was Evans, of course, so they are going to have to find something else there. I don't I don't think it's easy to assume Holden stays can jump in and catch five passes and three first downs on third down every game. Otherwise, he would have done it because he had a chance. You know, Mitchell no, Evans. To- totally agree. Mitchell yeah. Evans is the better tight end. I, yeah. I think that, that but- we seen that but opportunity is now presenting for holden stays exactly. cooper flanagan and if healthy eli reardon and if you can have the success that he had against a, a defense like nc states yeah. um you know he he's certainly i wouldn't put him quite in the evans proved a lot in a short period of time an awful he just lot. looked fantastic doing it too it wasn't like a function of scheming the guy open he was making better plays than the quarterback was throwing to him half the time <laughs> yeah Hey, let's move. Let's talk real quickly, Tim, about Clemson. They lost for the fourth time. They lost their second game in a row for the first time since 2011. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's pretty darn good. Um, you know what, though? I did look this up today for my Clemson questions for our insider, who will not be Anna Adams, by the way. She's one week left of uh, maternity leave. So congratulations to her. But the could have worked out a little better if she had one week less of maternity leave for us because we could have gotten yes. her in, in. Yeah, but um, they are seven and seven since they rolled into Notre Dame eight and zero and number four in the country last year. Yeah, and I, you know, I mean, they're they're not the Clemson that we're familiar with, but they are still the Clemson team that competes with everybody. Look, they could have beaten Florida State. Yes, that, that game yep. went into overtime. They could they could have won that game. Statistically, they could have. I mean, they could have won the Duke game if they just didn't completely implode in the in the red zone. And then this past week against NC State, Clemson had 20 turnovers. NC State had nine. This is still this is still a good Clemson football team that doesn't know how to win right now. Um, I think they could have beaten Florida State. I think when you are a team that makes that many mistakes you deserve to lose to duke however no, i agree with that no, yeah. like the way Notre Dame deserved to lose to louisville I, right I totally... right but yeah they're uh they are better than four and four uh because their defense is much better than four and four but their offense is no better than four and four i don't, don't think because their only offensive their best offensive days were against the two poor teams on the schedule and florida state which is a little bit concerning i suppose if you're a Notre Dame fan but number one's important as marcus freeman said will shipley concussion protocol for those wondering and you talked about the hit I did, yeah, because I, I saw it in, in watching film of them Sunday night, and and it was it was pretty nasty. It was a reception, and when he neared the goal line, he kind of got turned around, and so he took a hit. I I would call it the upper back and at the base of his neck, and that's a bad place to get drilled. And so you saw his head snap forward, and he was just kind of he was kind of I don't know if he actually got knocked out, but he was not moving. At the goal line, I didn't see. You I mean, know, this sounds like concussion protocol where you're staying concussion protocol. I don't, week. I don't see, I don't see a guy. I mean, we're you know, like we're talking, we're we're two days removed from that now. He he can't even be close. Can't possibly be in close now. Phil Maffa is a 
is a good running back, but he's a different kind of running back. He's a little bit bigger and more of a bruiser. I love I love Will Shipley's game. You have I, to account for Shipley in the return game too. That too, yeah. And the fact that he just does not quit. I mean, the guy just keeps coming too. That's he's he's a quality player. Yeah. Now Moffat carried six times, sixteen times for eighty-four yards and two touchdowns with a forty-one yarder Saturday against N- NC State. Uh, Shipley had only carried six times at that point, and that was his second reception when he was injured. So that's something to keep an eye on. But their offensive line is average. Their wide receiving core, um, I mean, I've always liked Bo Collins. Antonio Williams did not play on Saturday. Uh, Tyler Brown, one of their wide receivers, did not play on Saturday. So, yes, this is not a – it's not a quality offense going against what I think we can safely call a great Notre Dame defense. The over-under is 45-and-a-half, and And this is is going to be – one of these days, our guaranteed under is going to hit. I know, I know. <laughs> Those are low numbers, though. But, um, you know, this is, I think we're, many times we're going to be measuring plays by feet as opposed to yards. Yeah, I, I think it, Clemson's defense will play well, but I am positive once again when we begin our instant analysis pregame that we can confidently say after all reviews of every aspect of both teams that the best unit on the field and the biggest advantage on the field is Notre Dame's defense versus Clemson's offense, not the other way around. Uh, I would, I would agree with that, but I, I think not know, like a pit, not like pit. Obviously, no, that no, was ridiculous, but, but no, but, but Clemson's defense is still, is still very, very good. Hey, we were talking about games that they should have won. They were up 17 to seven going in the fourth quarter against Miami and then just then stopped doing anything offensively. Cade Klubnick, was intercepted twice. He's been intercepted three times in the last two games. I mean, he's just he's just been very, very inconsistent. His accuracy can be all over the place. Uh, I do I do like Notre Dame's offensive chances. Look, it's two great defenses. Notre Dame has a better offense than Clemson does right now. Yeah. No, I I don't I'm I, and they have a better quarterback too. And they have a better offensive. They have a better quarterback, a better offensive line, a much better running back collection. If there's no Will Shipley, yep, yep. yep. And as we know from talking to a Power Five coach, Clemson's wide receivers aren't better than anybody. No, that's that's very true. And I, you know, I mean, Xavier Thomas is still at Clemson in his seventh year or something. I don't know. Uh, they have a good tight end, Clemson. Now that maybe they have an advantage, the, slight advantage at tight end with Mitchell Evans out. Yeah, I love their tight end. Tight end Jake Burningstool is really really good. I wouldn't. He's kind of he wears number nine, so you kind you I, I naturally think of Eli Raritan, but they're kind of built along the same lines. You know, Cade Stover from from Ohio State's a little bit more solidly built, a little bit of a different player. But Brinningstool, like again, you talk about Evans is Notre Dame's best wide receiver. Brinningstool is, yeah. is Clemson's best yes. wide receiver. Bo Collins has a lot of ability in him, but he hasn't he hasn't put up huge numbers. Um you know, but man, I that the assistant coach that you're referencing is absolutely right about the receiving core because it's it just isn't anything special, especially if Antonio Williams and Tyler Brown are not playing. Yeah. We'll have to we'll have to monitor that uh this weekend. Xavier Thomas is still there, Ruke Aroaro. I love that name. Their defensive tackle is is effective. Uh Justin Maskell, who came off the bench last year, number seven at defense is pretty good. I I don't 
you know, their their linebackers are all new. I don't know that there's anything really, really special there. Uh, Sheridan Jones and Barrett Carter, well, Barrett Carter's one of their outside linebacker, but Nate Wiggins and Sheridan Jones are their corners. I think they're pretty good. Uh, uh, RJ Mickens, one of their strong safeties. He did not, he did not play last week. So they're in a bad way. I mean, at least Notre Dame goes to Clemson feeling really good about themselves and Clemson's just trying to, they're trying to salvage a little pride at this point. And Kind of wrapping this up, we uh, I did get a chance to review some of the bowl scenarios with our, not sure I'm supposed to say who it is yet, but our colleague that I think everybody understands what I'm talking about here. And he had a, uh, he had a conversation with somebody 100% in the know. This is not speculation whatsoever. This is what he was told and passed along to me prior to Thursday. If Notre Dame finishes number 10, they will be in the major six. If Notre Dame finishes number 11, it would be good if either Florida State and Louisville lose or neither loses. So that's the one thing to digest here. Florida State in the playoff, Louisville with one loss ahead of Notre Dame, Louisville will take an ACC spot and Notre Dame will go elsewhere from the Orange Bowl. Where it gets weird is if Florida State makes the playoff, Louisville loses and is behind the Irish because they are still going to take that ACC spot, which takes away one other spot. Mathematically speaking, somebody else is ahead of Louisville, if you get that in the top 12. Um, And in reality, and I'm going to let him explain this, there are no real bowl. There are really five open spots for the bowl, five at large. Okay, There's supposed to be six, but the group of five team is going to take that 12th spot. So if Notre Dame is number 12, they're going to be out. And I was wrong about something that I was hoping I was not wrong about. There is no such thing as the Fiesta or the Cotton or the Peach saying, we really want Notre Dame. Let's get them in there. They have absolutely no say whatsoever as a major six bowl. It is all up to the college football playoff committee. Not clear where that goes once you get to rely a quest and all those things. I'm pretty sure they have some, some deal. They can make some deals. But other than that, Notre Dame should be in. You finish 11, it gets a little funky if something goes wrong in the Louisville-Florida State thing. How's that? Yeah, and if they win the rest of their games, they're going to be – they're 12th right now. They're going they to make – They should be number 10. Yeah, sure. because yeah. Yeah, they, they're, not, they're not going to fall, and there will be other teams losing here in November. Louisville behind them with another loss is a little weird if Florida State doesn't also lose. Yeah. If they both lose, that's going to eliminate Louisville. Because for for Notre Dame's purposes, because Florida State will take the ACC spot. Yeah, well, that's that's one of the unfortunate things of college football there. But uh, you know, and again, I feel like we're. I hate to talk about this too much before Notre Dame goes to Clemson to try to to get win number eight and try to finish this off at ten and two. Uh, but I don't really believe in jinxes or anything along those lines. So we will. Uh, and as I said, we wouldn't talk about uh, game number two in August if we didn't want to talk look ahead because it's not our job to uh, focus one game at a time or one play at a time. No doubt. That's uh, that's for coaches and players and teams and universities to uh, to look at it that way. All right, we'll be back here with segment two. You've heard us talk about home field apparel since the start of the 2023 season. There are a lot of collegiate apparel brands out there, but we wanted to partner with home field because their designs are the best out there. Some of Irish Illustrated's favorites are the Sam Hartman Victory March tee, the script tee, and the retro long sleeve. Be sure to go to homefieldapparel.com Filter by Notre Dame and see what we're talking about. 
There's also currently an exclusive football bundle, which includes a baseball tee, sweats, a hoodie, and more. It's the perfect gift for a fellow Irish fan or perfect gift to treat yourself for being a loyal Notre Dame fan. And our listeners get an exclusive deal using code Irish Illustrated. Irish Illustrated gets you 15% off your first order. We know you're all wearing Notre Dame gear, so you're if you're in need of a refresh, we really think you should check out Home Field Apparel. Their designs are super unique, and a lot of thought goes into each concept. There's really nothing else on the market like what Home Field is doing. You can find them at homefieldapparel.com. And again, use your code Irish Illustrated for 15% off your first order. Coming back, segment two, burning up the boards. If you're coming to a game this season, you have to check out Game Day Your Way, the official tailgate service provider of Notre Dame. Game Day Your Way offers everything you need, including tailgate gear, catering, and even beverage delivery right to your spot. And their Irish Express transportation from Chicago allows you to tailgate while you travel to their all-inclusive party zone in South Bend. Let Game Day deal with all the hassle so you can focus on the fun. For tailgates, tickets, transportation, and more, visit gamedayyourway.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Some things are just made for each other, like tailgates and touchdowns. We're adding one more pair to the list, Aer Lingus and college football. Join us in Dublin this August for the Aer Lingus College Football Classic. Too soon? Plan your winter or spring break now with non-stop flights from cities including Chicago, Boston, Los Angeles and New York. Fly in comfort to Dublin, our European hub. Go coast to coast and discover the sights of Ireland or explore any of the 50 plus European cities we connect to, including Amsterdam, London, Paris and Rome. Visit Aerlingus.com to book today. Segment two, burning up the boards. Our first question is from Slatty66. Do you think Clemson is more likely on quit watch or planning to salvage their season starting with a Notre Dame upset? Well, certainly the Tigers are unaccustomed to being in this situation. And so, I, I mean, I'm sure there's a feeling that, you know, what in the world are we playing for? But I, I think we talked about this in instant analysis, Tim. The best thing that could happen to Clemson is they have Notre Dame coming to town from the standpoint of Notre Dame being plenty of motivation for them. Yeah, I would think uh, the only time you see quit watch is if Notre Dame can start putting one on them like they did USC in Pittsburgh, and then they are really on quit watch in a situation like that because their fans will be on quit watch as well at that point. Clemson here finishes with three straight home games, Notre Dame, Georgia Tech, and North Carolina, which is good for your uh, morale if you can beat them. And then, of course, rivals South Carolina. I think they're not on quit watch right now because they've played they've played well enough to win some of these games, three of the four losses, really. Um, but if you get ahead, if you're Notre Dame, you start putting one on them. That's exactly when quit watch starts when you're four and four and you're at home on new at noon. Yeah. Um, Tim, I, you know, I mean, I just, I don't, I don't anticipate being in that frame. I agree. The game could, could certainly... no, but I'm saying like the pick six that happens oh, yeah. when no, it's no 14. Doubt. Yeah. That those, those, once you start going down because things start bouncing Notre Dame's way too, if you're playing well, like remember Pittsburgh had two things bounce their way in that game. 
if you could if Notre Dame has things bounced their way and like if if Clemson drives down like Notre Dame did and goes seven nine nine eight seven nine eight interception and Notre Dame goes down and scores and then Clemson drives down and throws a terrible pick in the 10 yard line that's when all this weird stuff starts to begin for a team that's four and four I agree with you they will not they are not approaching this week on quit watch question from Denver Maximus Clemson is struggling but their defense is still formidable holding offenses to around 250 yards a game can the Notre Dame offense build off its performance against Pittsburgh, or are we looking at another Louisville-type offensive performance against a solid defense? Can the Notre Dame passing game be enough of a threat? I think it can. It took a huge hit this week. Um, I mean, Notre Dame's offense probably won't look as good as it did against Pittsburgh because they certainly had Pittsburgh well-scouted as an easier team to scout to, and as Tim Priester pointed out often, Pittsburgh's always going to tell you what it's going to do, but usually they're very good at what they do, so it doesn't matter if you know because they're quality athletes at corner and quality athletes defensive end. Those two combos are really hard to pass against. Athletes aren't there as quite as much this year. I don't think there's a Louisville performance in Notre Dame again this season. So let's hope there's not one next season because that was a really bad performance. Um, but uh, yeah, this is this the best defense out of the four road defenses? Duke. I mean, I probably, probably, I really, yeah. Duke's, I really Duke's got a good like, D, but I really liked NC State's run defense going mm-hmm. into that game. Um, you know, you don't see like if you go through all of Clemson's games, you don't see a whole lot of you know outliers where somebody, right? You know, really, I Florida, Florida State, and Florida State had 311 yards against. Them. Good question for this will be. At the end of this week on Thursday, we should revisit it. Not if they're the best defense, because they probably it's them or Duke or Duke. You know, I, I think it's probably comes a little more scary than Duke. It, um, but it who's off? Where the offense rank? Because Louisville's the best offense of the four road games. Is Duke with Riley Leonard a better offense than Clemson right now? Probably. Yeah. Well, that that's a big difference yeah, I think then too. I think their whiteouts yeah. are a little bit more established. I agree. I know, we're playing this comparison game, but. The, you know, I mean, the fact of the matter is that that Clemson's not very good right now, and their quarterback Klubnik is—he's got to be second guessing himself. Um, he was thir- he threw fifty times Saturday. You know, out of necessity, it wasn't like they were chasing a whole bunch of points. It's hard well, to run on NC State at times, so that could, yeah, it is. Yeah. It was third, when NC State scored twice in the third quarter, then it then it became a three score game, and and uh, Clemson scored ten points in the in the fourth quarter, but it just, it was 24 to seven at one point. So um, they didn't quit then, you know, now this could be a different situation, but they were down 24 to seven at NC state and they hung in there and, and challenged once again, but club, club, club just, he's not very good. Mafa is a bigger capable version at the, the running back position, but for them to be complete, they need Shipley. I don't think they'll have him. We talked about Brinningstool. Their other wide receivers are just, I mean, other than Bo Collins, just don't, I, they don't impress me that much. No, they're limited there. And uh, that's probably why we're going to be very impressed with the Clemson defense. Half the time you're reviewing tape and the other half, you're just going to be, oh, yuck. Because that is what you're looking at right now. It's it's not a good group. Next from Martin, even flow. I don't know if I agree with the beginning of this premise. While Xavier Watts is probably playing his last few games at Notre Dame, what can Marcus Freeman say or do to get him to return for one more season? I think it's more of the, the NFL uh, review committee that gives yeah. him a grade, right? I mean, 
Marcus Freeman can talk about it, but you either get a first round grade, a second round round grade, or a comeback grade. I would imagine he would get the latter of those just because of experience at the position. And we weren't three weeks ago. We didn't two games ago. We didn't, we didn't have this conversation and I just don't, he's been brilliant. He also has been, he's been a beneficiary of a couple really good, you know, a couple balls thrown right at him, uh, a ball stripped by Cam Hart that was just laying there for him to scoop and score. These are all great plays by a great athlete. I'm not trying to diminish that. You're not, but, but the NFL scouts will, because they look they, at everything, you know, they, not, not just production in this situation. Right. And I, and NFL scouts aren't going to necessarily talk about those plays as much as they are. Why weren't you here in this spot? Why were you there on this play? Those kind of things where his inexperience sometimes shows up. We did not have the conversation after the Ohio State game either, which is important because it was he was not the main culprit among the safeties at Ohio State. But if you would have made a conversation that Notre Dame's whole secondary is one of the best after the Ohio State game, not just corners, but the whole secondary, you'd have been laughed out of this world because the safeties are the reason that the reason that whole drive happened at the end and yeah. the, the the middle of it, the beginning and the end. <laughs> yeah. And make no mistake. I mean, Xavier Watts is probably like all other players. He's hot. And he's thinking, I may be ready to go to the NFL. Oh, he's hot and he's playing great. Every time I do these updates of my 12 best players, he keeps going up and up and up. And he's going to keep going up, I think. He's doing a great job. But I think uh, the NFL will be the ultimate deciding factor there. And what can Marcus Freeman say? Just a little bit. What can he do? Well, he could go say something to fund and some other people because that could help too. Uh, Xavier Watts is getting paid either way nowadays. Yeah, that's definitely going to come in play. yeah, you know, every player is an individual case. Some that you don't have to tend to, per se. Uh, but some, others, you know, like, unfortunately, unfortunately, Mitchell Evans just had the decision made for him. Maybe it'll be like that North Carolina receiver when God told him to stay and God was in the form of bags and bags of money. That could help, too. Next from CA Irish 77. Is this the best defense of the post-Holtz era? Another thing we would not have said a couple weeks ago, by the way. The 2012 team may have been better up front, but the current team's secondary is legit All-American level. I'm going to throw that one back at you, Tim, because you said you have something you want to, without without using statistics. Yes, I don't want to get into the weeds here. I love this question by C.A. Irish because it made me think of an answer that might work for people. There is no doubt the 2012 team is better up front, and there is zero doubt this team is way better in the secondary than one that pulled Kavari Russell from running back, Matthias Farley from scout team receiver, and begging Farley to play because they lost Jamora Slaughter a week two. So without getting in the weeds, let me ask you the question. Here's the best defenses of the Pulse-Holtz era. This one, 2018, 2020, those are two playoff defenses. 2012, a playoff defense. And I will throw in 2002 because I believe everybody would get shredded by Carson Palmer's USC team too. Yeah. I love that. I love that. I've always been partial to the 2002. I'm not saying it's better than this one, but I've always been partial to the 2002 defense. I really liked interacting and talking football with Kent Bayer, the defensive coordinator back then. They were the number nine scoring defense in the country. Uh, and Notre Dame has been in the top 10 just once since then. And that, of course, was 2012. 2012. So looking at it this way, though, 
those four defenses plus this one. Did that def- did any of those defenses at any point jeopardize Notre Dame's chance greatly for winning a game? 2002 was only USC, and it, it, it took 11 games, but it got to number 12, and they got shredded. 2012 never jeopardized Notre Dame's chance for winning a regular season game. They never did. 2020, never in the regular season except Clemson. They could have lost to Clemson for sure, giving up 40 points from regulation. So there's one right there. 2018, never did unless you want to split hairs and say that they were very, very careful with USC speed, but they still held them down to 17 points. This team has not either. Louisville, you could argue, would be the one time they jeopardized a chance to win a game, but they also kept Notre Dame in the game, in the Louisville game. They did not play very good defense against Louisville, though. No, in the they second, didn't. In the second know, half, they did not. I mean, yeah, and it, it got worse when the offense couldn't do anything. Of the... course, but that happens in most sure. of these defenses sure. didn't play with great offenses yeah. either. Yeah. That's uh, how I look at it. What defense doesn't jeopardize your chance ever of losing a game? I mean, this team probably was only going to have one, probably only going to have one the whole time, and it's and it's not a bad one. Yeah, I wouldn't think that Clemson's going to have a breakout offensive game against Notre Dame here down right. the stretch. And they played a great D. Like when I say Carson Palmer, I have, I think that, I think that US, well, that USC team would destroy this USC team, but I think that USC offense was better than this USC offense too. Yeah. We have a question from, excuse me, from pin and pole. Who, by the way, recognized that I blew a kiss to my wife in the stands from the end zone at the end of the game the other night. Very interesting. Uh, I found that to be interesting too. He thought I might've been, Blowing a kiss to a grandchild. Too young though to be at that game. Yeah. <laughs> no. That would have been nice. That would have been nice too, but too young that was a grandchild my wife. to be at the game. Yeah. She was waving at me and I blew her a kiss back. Thanks for checking on me though. Question from Pin and Pole. Jared Parker did a really nice job manipulating the Pittsburgh safeties in the passing game. To what do you attribute last week's improvement? Is it just me or does he seem more fluent manipulating the defense in the passing game than a running game right now? I mean, there's a few things to attribute it to. One is we talked about the self-scouting. Two is you can manipulate Pittsburgh because, as Marcus Freeman said, you know what they're going to do. It is the weakness of their defense. If you know what they're going to do, you can manipulate them. That's what Notre Notre Dame had the most basic defense ever in 2012, and Alabama manipulated it into absolutely anything they wanted. And then the talent was a problem a little bit, too. Um, Interestingly enough, though, Marcus Freeman said today he thought that the running games work against the safeties was the key to. Notre Dame's offensive breakthrough against Pittsburgh. So in Marcus Freeman's case, he believes they manipulated the safeties great in the running game, at least against Pittsburgh. Blocked them well, certainly. Um, you know, I mean, I, I think Rico Flores is developing a little bit. J- Jordan Faison had one play. I, did you see that punt return? Yes. It's, I mean, this is as good that. as Chris Tyrese. He's <laughs> going as far. The 20-yard punt return by – I changed the subject here. I apologize. But the 20-yard punt return by Faison – now that is one elusive dude. That 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 dude has to be. It had some zippy to it too. He wasn't going down with really guys grabbing did. him. No, it really did. It was really impressive. But I don't know. You know, I mean, Norden was coming off a bye week. I, we can we can list several several things with the self scouting going on. Several things that allowed allowed it to happen. Um, I, I do want <clears throat> to. I mentioned it. I know I'm going to catch heat for this because I always do when I write it in tail of the tape and and. You know, O'Malley uh, subtly always reminds me during a game to not pay attention to the four horsemen louds during the game. He usually says it under his breath. 
Not, not this past week. I didn't say that. I remember. No, that. no, no, no. no you're, pretty, <laughs> you're pretty adamant about it. But after the first two drives, I'm like, you know, they're doing pretty well. Then I make the mistake of going to our message board and reading the interp- the interpretation of Jared Parker's first two series. They did everything they wanted to do in that series, but then Hartman threw interceptions. Now, uh, you know, at, at a, in, in Parker's, Parker and Gadouli are responsible for everything that happens offensively there with the quarterback. I get that. But to come out of those first two drives blaming Jared Parker, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, uh, you know, on my soapbox about Jared Parker. I don't care. I said today, I don't care if Jared Parker or Parker Posey is the the offensive coordinator next year. I'm just trying to evaluate bodies in uniforms with numbers and coaches in their coaching position. I don't, I don't care who's doing what. We're just trying to evaluate everything at face value. There was absolutely nothing wrong with the way the offense ran in the first two series. But you wouldn't have known that because the two interceptions ruined the drives. That wasn't Jared Parker's fault. What else do I usually use the word, the term vocal minority? I no, I've told I totally realize that, but I'm trying to speak to the vocal minority to let you know that you're not paying attention. You weren't on Saturday. On Saturday, you weren't paying very close attention because the offensive coordinator did a really nice job the first two series of the game. So maybe predisposed to lay blame because of thoughts from previous games could have been one way of looking at a message board's right. reaction to the pick. right. But we're never going to look at a game like that. We're, we we will try to never look at the game through that lens. We we we're trying to be objective about it. I don't dislike a coach or like a coach or pull for a coach or pull against a coach. I, think well, I like coaches and dislike coaches, but I still oh, no, tell them like, exactly no, like it it's is. Not, yeah. <laughs> it's not going to change the way we're no. going to evaluate them. And I and obviously I get not. Feeling, yeah. I get the feeling that there's a segment of people that wake up every Saturday morning and they can't wait till they find something that they think Jared Parker did wrong or that or something that Tommy Reese did wrong or something that a previous defensive coordinator did wrong. If you're going to look at it from that perspective, yeah, you're always going to find something wrong. Tommy Reese and Kent Bear have made our podcast, so I'm just going to say random names right now, like Charlie Molnar and John Tenuta, and we will get off topic. I told Althea, how much do you think the perception of Steve Angeli is impacted by his high school ranking? He has looked solid or poised in the games he's gotten into. I feel like if he was a high four-star coming out of high school, there would be a lot more hype around him. Well, that is 100% true, because you would be basing it on his high school ranking, as he has not started a game yet. Yeah, that's that's... The last, part, the last part's totally true. If he was the 50th ranked player of the country, people would love the fact that he went six of seven on Saturday. Oh, yeah, no doubt. And and I would like to think that the Nordham coaching staff doesn't consider his his ranking, although he was he was elevated to a four star, wasn't he? At the end, whatever. Um, but I, I think I, I had think him they, low. I think there's some truth to that because you can practice, 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 but until you prove it in a game. I, you know, I'm not sure that a coaching staff is ever fully convinced that, okay, this guy's going to be, yeah, there are occasions where a guy dominates August. And so, you know, this guy is ready, but I think really, frankly, if Nordheim goes out and gets a, a grad transfer quarterback, which we expect them to do, I just, I think it's based upon Notre Dame's coaching staff saying, you know what, we need to, we just need to be better at this position in 20 going into 2024. Yeah, and I think that's great because then if Steve Angeli and Kenny Minchie stay, 
you have competition. You see who the best player is, but this is the whole thing about not letting a room develop. If you get a, if you get a quarterback, that's much better than everybody in your room is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my entire life. If you get a quarterback, that's not better than the people in your room. Then you've made a mistake as the coaching staff. Let's hope that let's hope Notre Dame doesn't do that for some reason. Yeah. They're looking for a much better player. Great. That's what you want. <laughs> what? So when you tell me, let's say Notre Dame could get the best freshman, let's say they could get the best freshman quarterback every year. Well, we have Steve Angeli. Why do we want the best freshman quarterback every year? Just because you want them to wait their turn? No one waits their turn. <laughs> it's, yeah, someone's the leaving? Yeah, the position's in flux now, and we we have to evaluate in a completely different manner. If Notre Dame, if, Notre Dame, if Marcus Freeman believes he needs a grad transfer quarterback for next year, then I accept the fact that Notre Dame needs a grad transfer quarterback next year because they're going to practice every day. And look, Angeli's made progress. I'm not, I'm not putting Angeli down in any way. I thought no, he's better than I thought he was going to be. Oh, I had him rank I low. Have... I did have him rank low, but I, he's way better than I thought he was going to be. No, he had a, he had a quality August. He's done good things in games to throw Marcus Freeman pointed out today to throw rolling to his left was beautiful and he absolutely made it really look easy and that is not it's not an easy throw i think he's done he's done a marvelous job but i'm going to trust the coaching staff that's out there every day to determine whether they need an upgrade and when we say upgrade what we're basically saying is a guy with experience having success in games it's the guy that can help you in the most humanly possible games in the schedule of 2024 which is what should always matter that's what it's all about. If Notre Dame was five and seven rebuilding program, then you don't go get a one-year quarterback. I do get that argument. If you have Steve Angeli, Kenny Minchie, and CJ Carr. Good point. Totally fine. No, good point. Otherwise, they're not that program. I agree with that. We had a, I, I think you skipped over a question here, Tim. New England ND fan. Please discuss the end of the half, uh, end of the half clock management against Pittsburgh. Yeah, I did not like it. Uh, Marcus Freeman's explanation made total sense when he said, uh, I want to leave it with no time, but I think you need to leave Patrick Mahomes with no time and you need to leave Caleb Williams and Sam Hartman with no time. Perhaps you don't need to leave Pittsburgh with no time. So when there was 20, Oh shoot, I wrote this down somewhere else. 20, I'm, I, even though it's more than this, I'm going to say 20, there was like 28 seconds. Let's say there's 22 seconds on the clock and third down. You don't have to let it run all the way down to call a timeout at that point and go 12 seconds and go for two plays. It, he, you can get Sam Hartman to play. Don't get sacked. You have your timeout if you get sacked. <clears throat> it was it was overly conservative anyway. It was wildly conservative for Pittsburgh being your opponent with their quarterback situation. Yeah, that, that's – I mean, Pittsburgh wasn't going to go down and score under – you could give them the possession 50 times. <laughs> that's time, the 50. <laughs> Just kicking out of bounds at the 50. They weren't going to do it. I think, at a, I think at a certain point, Marcus Freeman just thought, hey, let's just get up three scores. A field goal puts them puts up three scores going in. To the half, but you know, it's, it's a legitimate question. It wasn't handled perfectly and, you know, against a, uh, a better opponent, it would matter a little bit more. It just didn't matter against Pittsburgh, but he, he has Marcus Freeman is way better in clock management this year. It's done a really good job at the end of halves. These aren't always going to work out perfectly for you a little bit more foresight though. Because remember, Tim, you said great penalty against Pittsburgh for the oh, yeah. interference in the end zone, which it was. But if and you're you daring have, Notre Dame to go for it instead of getting right, three points. Right, right. But so if Notre Dame doesn't let the clock bleed, they're in a position. They got first and goal to three with, 
19 seconds to go. So heck, you've got you've got three shots at the end zone. I want to ruin everybody's day because it ruined mine when I thought about it. For the 12th straight year, it was my reminder that all Gary Gurry had to do was interfere in the end zone in 2011, and Michigan would have kicked the field goal, wimping out with two seconds left, and that would have been overtime instead of winning the game right there. Sorry, everybody. There's a lot to consider, a lot to consider. We have a question from SF Castillo. So who are the four Notre Dame players to score touchdowns on a punt return, kick return, rushing TD, and receiving TD? It was a fun moment in the press box because when Chris Tyree did it and we heard Douglas Farmer to our left and Alan Wazalewski above us and Aaron Horvath trying to think of names at the same time, everybody was like, well, Tim Brown and Rocket, because it was pretty obvious that they spent their lives doing it. And then Chris Tyree, and I think they tweeted it out. And I was like, you know what? Julius Jones did it too. I know Julius Jones did this too. And he did. Julius Jones had a punt return against BC, the famous kickoff return against Nebraska. And of course, many touchdowns from scrimmage. I was surprised because now and I then I got on a sidetrack during the game and I stopped working at the game and I do these things too often when stats come into play. Golden Tate, I looked up. I knew he had the punt return against uh, Pitt. Never had a kickoff return touchdown and he barely returned kicks. Ricky Waters returned two career kicks in his life. So he didn't have one either. He obviously had punt returns, many yep. punt returns. Um, Lee Becton, I knew had a kickoff return because you could have timed it with a sundial. No offense, Lee. Uh, if you guys want to go look at a funny kickoff return, he must make six people miss, but I bet you from the moment he catches it to when he scores, it took 14 seconds. <laughs> so that's Michigan state 1991. And, um, the only other guy I thought possible was like David Givens, but he wasn't close either. And then some people said Alan Rossum. He just didn't play any offense like that. That wasn't a chance for him. Nope. nope. So Julius Jones, I mean, excuse me, not Julius Jones, Chris Tyree joined some exclusive company is the whole point of that. Yeah. Yeah. That's Pretty, amazing. Yeah. I mean, you just didn't think like after, after Tim Brown and, and, and Gib Ismail, you didn't like, you just don't anticipate another, you don't know when the next guy. Tate was the only guy possible. Yeah. I was thinking, cause he was so good, but he didn't return kicks, but by the way, maybe he should have returned kicks. Charlie, think about that. <laughs> we have two questions here, uh, putting them together. Wash ND, do you see beating Clemson as a demarcation line between a successful regular season and an unsuccessful one, assuming Norton wins against its final two opponents? And then from ACC TG Teach, despite being four and four, we should tip our cap to Clemson for the run they had. Is it fair to say the Tigers' run began in 2015 and ended with the Irish in 2022? Yes. And I hope so. I think it's a successful season if they win and go 10 and two. And I do not think people are going to look back and see this as a successful nope. season. If they lose to nope. Clemson at four and four, but we said that we but said Clemson that could have been undefeated. We could have said that that's no, or one yeah. loss Clemson. We would have been thinking you can't go nine and three because Louisville ruins things. Yeah. That's what, that's what I was going to say that that's, that, you know, you could lose to, you could lose to Clemson if you're eight, one loss. Right. Yeah. Probably not now because you'd be playoff position eight and one, but no, nine and three, you know, nine and three wasn't going to be. I mean, it wasn't going to be good enough because at nine and three, you 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 either lost to the three big teams or you lost to two of them and somebody else, right? Exactly right. Exactly right. And then we should tip our caps, no matter what. This run's been very impressive for Clemson because first of all, they took out Alabama in a championship game twice. Uh they also the 2018 Clemson team freaking great they were fantastic they killed alabama they were fa- they were incredible 
they were absolutely amazing. I mean, they were great everywhere. I want to, I'm, I'm looking up now, Tim, I, I want to go this year by year stuff with Clemson because I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, from, from just bear with me here, starting at 2011 victory totals, 10, 11, 11, 10, 14, 14, 12, 15, 14, 10, 10, 11. <laughs> that is insane. Yeah. And one of those tens was um, they only played 12 games. Yeah. Right. They lost a championship game to maybe the greatest team ever in LSU and lost to Notre Dame. They didn't have Trevor Lawrence, but we don't like talking about that. We talk about that. <laughs> what do you think? Uh, what do you think it will take? Do you think Dabble Sweeney's on the hot seat or what do you think? No, will- I had this conversation Saturday night. So they are, if they do lose to Notre Dame, they will be seven and eight since they came into that Notre Dame game undefeated last year, including the loss to Notre Dame. Right. Um, if he doesn't go with if he goes, so let's say they lose to uh, who did I say? Let's say they lose to North Carolina and beat two other teams. They finish about 500. And he doesn't go in the portal at all. And he's openly against going in the portal. And people say he's not into NIL. I think you could pretend you're not in NIL and still be really plenty into NIL without talking about it. He's going to have to start going in the portal. Well, he has to. And if they're, you know, if I'm the AD and, and, we emphasize that point to him and he's resistant to him. Well, now, right now we have a problem, but you can't, you can't compete for national titles without the portal now. No, I don't think so. Well, yeah, they don't recruit at the Georgia, Ohio state Clemson or Georgia, Ohio state, Alabama level either. No, I was going to say there's a couple of couple of schools that were that recruited at a different level, but you know, I mean, other than man, Clemson and their defensive line recruiting is just pretty ridiculous. How good it is many times, but um, no, you have to do that. So if there's some resistance to that, you know, now you now you sow some seeds of discontent with your bosses. But he's going to have to he's going to have to look at the game a lot differently. Yeah, I mean, everybody else has to. He has to. Right. That is, it's adapt or die. Right. Moneyball. Brad Pitt. Why would, yeah, why would Clemson, why is Clemson in the situation they are at wide receiver? That doesn't make sense because that 2018 team had the scariest tandem of wide receivers. <laughs> I mean, my gosh, look about that. Yeah. It was just uh, not even tandem, trio. Mark Rogers, too. Yeah. Yeah. Their talent level has dropped. That's for sure. I mean, even the defensive line talent levels dropped a little bit in terms of how good they actually are, because those guys went eight deep in 2018 and 2020. All right, Tim, I'm going to ask you the last question here for for today so you can add some context to it. And that last question is from Julian, 1975 EE. We're getting ahead of ourselves here, but I thought it was pertinent because of the game that they gave Washington the other day. And the question is, should we all fear Stanford as a surprise team like last year? I was really rooting for them to beat Washington. Not only because I like chaos in October, November, but their quarterback, Ashton Daniels, I knew when he was two years old, when he would be at our flag football games in Atlanta with Juan Daniels, his dad, who I think I've put on the message board before was a one of Georgia's best receivers ever um, played with desire. We should fear Clemson's defense more than Stanford's offense. Stanford's offense, though, is a unique, cool offense under their new head coach. A little different than David Shaw, by the way, the uh, the attack they have now at Stanford. I really think Al Golden can handle it, though. 
Yeah, I think so too. Tim, I meant to get the pronunciation of their wide receiver that has taken off. Do you know what it is? I do not know the pronunciations. That would be just as bad as if I tried to do Vayer at any and, point last week. Um, I don't even have his number here. Uh, Alec Manor is how I would phonetically pronounce it. He has had nine catches last week. He had nine catches, 146 yards, and a touchdown. The week before, he was eight for 90 yards. He did lose a fumble in that game against Colorado, which we know has a very terrible defense. Yeah, a little different than Indy. Yeah, 13 catches, 294 yards, a 97-yarder <laughs> among his three touchdowns. 294 yards. That's well, a Notre Dame program record right there. Yeah, so I do like I, I do want to say Troy Taylor. I, I, I felt like coming into the season – and he was at Sacramento State. They played Sacramento State and lost to them in game three. So they've gotten better since then. I I think, Tim, you and I agree with this. If Notre Dame goes into Stanford 9-2. and two, They're going to beat Stanford. Notre Dame will beat Stanford. They'll be ready to play. And Stanford's and, uh, not stopping Notre Dame. They don't stop much. Stanford doesn't stop much. Um, now, weird things can happen, but Clemson's a bigger threat because of their defense than Stanford is for their offense. That's yeah. No doubt about it. However, mm-hmm. week three, Stanford looked like the worst team on the schedule, uh, not including that other than Tennessee State. And now they are not the worst team and on the I, schedule. And, I, and again, I think that speaks to Troy Taylor being a good coach and a good selection by Stanford because if they can turn it, I, their roster was depleted after last year and all the transfers. Uh, they got a, it's so difficult for Stanford to get transfers. We're getting way ahead of ourselves. I, I don't even know that most people, uh, think that Stanford has improved or know that they're, they're they've improved offensively everybody if you're wondering they've gotten they've and they're playing very hard for their coach and there's less smugness in post-game play uh press conferences I think <laughs> I would imagine so we're going to be back on I hope everybody has a good uh good Halloween with their young ones we'll be back on Thursday November 2nd Pete Sampson will join us and we'll get into a full preview of Notre Dame versus Clemson until then I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley And this has been Irish Illustrated Insider.